Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about birthdays and birthday presents. We celebrate a lady who rediscovered her love for the cello after 40 years. We inform you on the names for body parts you didn't even know you had. We offer another installment from Kathleen O'Brien, our chief aging officer. And we report on a study about the regional personalities of Americans. The Old Dog's conversation is with Carmen Edwards, a healer who is continuing to discover new ways to practice her art. Stay with us. So, Paul. Yeah. Happy birthday. Well, and same to you, Jim. Well, thank you. We're both a couple of Leos just trying to get our way through life. Well, what do you think about that? What's on your mind about your next birthday? Oh, yeah. To be honest, Jim, birthdays don't mean a heck of a lot to me these days. Um Maybe every decade I'll have a party, <laughs> and who knows if I'll make the next decade. You know, I just like to kind of pass through them quietly. What about you? Well, I'm just happy that I can remember that I have a birthday. Uh, that's plenty present for me. Uh, but I enjoy really the simple things about celebrating a birthday. I like it. I still like it, and it's mostly because, you know, the family gets together and acknowledges that I'm still vertical. Well, I must say, I frequently will celebrate with just a quiet dinner yeah. with immediate family mm-hmm. and no gifts, please. Um, a funny card would be appreciated. But, you know, that's, that's interesting. I wonder what some of our listeners might do with their birthdays, and maybe they could contact us and let us know. For me, I would say, you know, there's there's big hallmarks in your life, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 21's a big one. Right. Right. Um, 65. A big one. You get Medicare. <laughs> it's a package. Medicare, Social Security, bye-bye. Um, but after that, there really are no signature birthdays that I'm aware Maybe 100. I don't know. Well, that would be significant, I would say. I was uh, very pleased to turn 35, for example, because uh, the uh, draft board had extended my eligibility for the draft till age 35. Uh, not that I was in any great danger of being called up, but I still celebrated. I don't Big know. Time. You sound to me like the perfect specimen for a frontline soldier. But yeah, yeah. right. Um, I don't know. I, I can't remember anything between twenty-one and sixty-five. Maybe fifty. How much can you remember? Maybe fifty was a big one because yeah. that's like in your face. You're getting older, buddy. Mm. Um, well, what about presents? What about any kind of a celebration? Yeah. It sounds like we both like just something quiet, immediate family. Glad you're alive. Yeah, I love the present of family, uh, especially these days, you know, when everybody is trying to stay safe. Uh, but uh, I don't care uh, to get presents, I, although I love the gesture. It's just that what am I going to do with the stuff? I have everything I need. I mean, really, I would love to give them presents for my birthday. Maybe that's what we should start doing. A great idea. Give everybody a present 
for yeah, I like your that. birthday. You uh, yeah, can, it gets me out of the, that that's endless cycle. My wife always says, "Well, what do you want for your birthday?" Right. I, I, I don't want anything. I got to make up something. Yeah. Like, well, I'm I'm running out of dental floss. Is <laughs> <laughs> well, I got pistachios from my wife, which I thought was very. Was that a subtle message of your nuts? No, no, no. It's just something that I don't normally buy for myself, but I love pistachios. And each one was gift-wrapped? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, with a bow. That's that's a lot of work. Oh, I know, but bless her heart. Vera Gigi's first love was the cello, but she stopped playing because of other interests as a young adult. After retiring, she started playing again after nearly 40 years. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for July 20th, 2021. Vera Gigi learned to play the cello at the age of 12 in 1940. She didn't choose the cello. It was assigned to her because she had a good ear and long fingers. She learned to love playing in the orchestra at the High School of Music and Art in Manhattan. As an adult, she had less time for music. She became a professor of English at Brooklyn College and raised four children. Her cello remained in the closet for almost 40 years. When she retired at the age of 62, she started thinking about the importance of music when she was younger. She lived a half block from the famous 92nd Street Y, which offered music classes. They had a creative music class for people over 60, which rekindled her love of the cello. It was a chance for her to explore the path not taken. Today, at the age of 93, Dr. Gigi lives with her husband in an Upper East Side townhouse. She can be found most Fridays playing in one of two music groups at the 92nd Street Y, a trio and a string quartet. In 2007, she published a book called Cello Playing for Music Lovers, which is sold by Amazon in 20 countries. She offers this advice for folks our age who are looking for a third act. Don't be afraid to go back to something you loved. Even though I was aging, I learned I could still re-enter this wonderful world of creating music. And the community I lost, I found again. That a way to howl at the moon, Dr. Gigi. As you well know, the old dogs are devoted to learning, even if what you learn is unusable. This pod nugget is from the Word Genius website. Today's installment of Worthless Knowledge (laughs) focuses on body parts that you didn't know had a name. There's a spot in the middle of your back that's a little out of reach when you're trying to scratch an itch. This spot is your acnestis. Ah. Mm -hmm. Look at the back of your hand. Between your thumb and forefinger is a triangular depression, which is called the anatomical snuff box. (laughs) In ages past, people would sniff snuff from that spot. The dimples of Venus are the little indentations on your lower back just above your buttocks. Paul, Mm. look for your butt dimples later after we finish the podcast. But the mirror's right here. Yeah, yeah. Come on. The flat area above your nose and between your eyebrows is called the glabella. Of course. And if you have a unibrow, you're going to have to trust that it's there. And finally, the philtrum, oh, yes. PH, is the vertical groove extending from the bottom of your nose to the top of your upper lip. 
A wide philtrum in Chinese facial reading means you're lucky, or maybe you just have a big nose. All right, we challenge you now not only to remember these anatomical outliers, but also work them into your everyday conversation. We know that we will eventually. Say, Paul. Yo. How's your philtrum today? Uh, much better than my dimples of Venus. <laughs> And now here's another commentary from our chief aging officer, Kathleen O'Brien, author of Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old. Remember the hermit guy, the older fellow with the white beard who lived in New Hampshire on land he didn't own? He's called River Dave, and he had a cabin off the grid for over 20 years and lived off the land. When the landowner of River Dave's property tried to evict him, Dave became national news. Well, you may have heard the latest. River Dave's cabin burned down as he was being evicted, and rather than continue his sad story, Dave decided to move on. Yes, he decided he was going to embrace his fate, cabinless and without a place to call home, and come out of his hermithood to see what he had been missing in life. This story is noteworthy because we all have the opportunity to follow River Dave's lead. As we get older, there is a temptation to change things up, to reinvent ourselves, extricate ourselves from a lifestyle or persona that may no longer suit us. Dave the Hermit gave in to that glorious temptation. I recently bought a dress from Betsy Johnson's online store. Betsy's stuff is wild, colorful, kitschy. The dress I bought is fitted off-the-shoulder black with bright pink cherries all over it. Would I have worn this dress a decade ago? (laughs) No way. But I decided I wanted to change things up, experiment with a new appearance, even as I've started to let my hair go gray. What have I been missing while eschewing a bright pink and black dress? We'll find out. River Dave said that maybe he had avoided being around people because he was afraid of getting out of his comfort zone. Now he's decided it's time he did. No more regretting his eviction. I'm beginning to feel that way too. It's time I started to flaunt my older appearance with bright colors and gray hair. The ship of youth has sailed. That's a good thing. It frees me up to embark on a new adventure to expand my view of myself. I need to buy the former hermit a beer. Do people in regions of this country have similar personalities? One researcher says yes. This pod nugget is from the Atlantic for November 18th, 2019. Psychologist Jason Renfro and his co-authors analyzed a set of surveys that have been conducted between 2003 and 2015 to see if larger regions of this country shared similar attitudes and temperament. And here's the three areas he projects. Cluster 1 includes the Midwest and parts of the Southeast, which Renfro characterized as friendly and conventional. People share high levels of extroversion, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. This suggests a place where traditional values, family, and the status quo are important. Cluster 2 includes the West Coast, the Rocky Mountains, and the Southwest, which could generally be called relaxed and creative. People in this area are very open with tendencies towards curiosity, variety, and imagination. 
Here, the qualities of open-mindedness, tolerance, and happiness are valued. Cluster 3 includes the Northeast and most of Texas, which Renfro characterized as temperamental and uninhibited. These states have higher neuroticism than the others and are somewhat high on openness. People in Cluster 3 are reserved, aloof, impulsive, irritable, and inquisitive. There are some obvious issues with generalizing the personality traits of such large groupings of people. Yeah. But if you've traveled a lot in this country, there's some truth to the characterization of the three clusters. And since the old dogs are based in Texas, we are proudly temperamental and uninhibited. Y'all got a problem with that? Well, I'm friendly. Aren't you friendly, Paul? Uh, You're very friendly. Eh... <laughs> Carmen Edwards has practiced non-traditional forms of healing for many decades. She thought she was giving it up when she moved to Arkansas, but it turns out it was a new beginning, a beginning that countless women have been benefiting from. Carmen, I'm going to start by asking you to tell us about your work with the Divine Feminine Spirit. Well, okay, it all, you know, started back in... uh Texas when I was practicing as an LPC and I what I enjoyed the most was working with women and then with the COVID thing I had so much time to myself that I was able to really realize that wait a minute my true calling is to work with women my true calling is to help women connect with their power and divine feminine power and i think as women are learn how to do that and uh, connect with that power and that purpose that there's a ripple that goes out like in a you know you throw a rock in a pond and the ripples just go out mm-hmm. and and so it affects everybody their partners their children the workplace you know i get so upset when i <laughs> read about what's happening with women in the world and consequently with the men in the world, because there's that divine masculine, too, that's gotten lost. Well, I've got a, a question for you. At some point, you've got interested in more non-traditional methods. And can you tell us about the transition? Oh, oh my, yes. Um, it was pretty amazing, it, and it kind of came out of the blue. But I was always very interested in metaphysical stuff, and I was I realized when I first started practicing that, you know, it's like there's something missing here in my practice and just sitting and talking with somebody in my office that just wasn't enough. So I found myself in a um, healing touch workshop, healing with healing touch international. I was the only psychotherapist there. And the first experience was the exercise was to put your hands on someone sitting in the chair. And immediately I got these two messages about her. And I went, oh, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. So it just kind of unfolded from there. And now I've added the, um, the EFT because I no longer want to do hands-on kind of work. And emotional freedom techniques came to me oh, years ago when my husband was at MD Anderson. Well, can so you explain was- a bit about how EFT works? Yes. Um, it's like having acupuncture but without the needles. And so basically, uh, you start off with an issue, say, uh, okay, um, my singing, for instance, you know, you have 
you get nervous and so forth. So basically, even though I'm feeling very nervous about this singing, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. So basically, you're creating a setup statement. And as you do that, you're acknowledging the negative aspect of what's bothering you because negative energy hangs out in the energy field. And by tapping on these meridians, you're able to reduce the impact of the negative energy in your energy system, in your body. It works with pain. It works with PTSD and overcoming childhood traumas. It's pretty miraculous. It's very easy to learn. <laughs> and I use it all the time. But you say it's, it's non, non-touch for the practitioner? or The practitioner does not have to touch. This is something that you could use, you know, you could learn to use very easily. And you tap on yourself. This is where the setup statement is done. And then you go to the top of the head and run through the rest of the points. I love it. <laughs> I get great results with it, not only for myself, but for the people that I work with. Well, Jim and I are both children of the 60s, and this doesn't seem strange to us at all. It just sounds like an alternative, and I think that's gaining more and more acceptance these days, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I hope so. So with every illness, you know, there are more variables than just, you know, like with this COVID thing, I've done some thinking about, well, what's this all about for me? What does this mean? And one of the things I got is I need to slow down. And I got slowed down. <laughs> so you're saying that sometimes the um, things that manifest themselves physically are a result of emotional trauma that you're experiencing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people walk around up here in their head trying to think their way through life, and they they have no clue of what's going on below the neck. And I think in that case, that it, well, it really sets you up for some issues. I just lost a really good friend to cancer. And, oh, I just feel so sadly for everything she went through. It's appalling. It's barbaric. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to throw out, you know, the medications and that kind of thing. And what I saw my husband go through, I don't want to throw all that out. But at the same time, it's like we need to have a holistic view of, of this healing aspect. It sounds like you still use some of your traditional therapeutic techniques to uncover these past uh, traumas. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people, you know, we all have our stories. And um, I always talk to people about their stories and and the energy behind the story that they're telling. You know, when I was working uh, one-on-one, the first half of my sessions would be watching, not only listening to people tell their story, but watching, watching what was happening in their bodies. It, it, you have to practice awareness, have to practice being the observer in a non-judgmental way. And I really try very hard. When I walk past a mirror, I look to see how I'm walking. Am I stooped? Because it, it would be pretty easy to start doing that. And so it's not only being aware of how you're moving through your daily life, but it's also about being aware of what you're thinking and what you're feeling and where those feelings are in your body. You know, is there something that's got your stomach in knots? Well, check it out. Be brave. Find out what it is. Um, you had a lot of emphasis on mindfulness. And as you know, 
that term has become almost uh, meaningless in, in popular usage right now. Can you kind of bring the focus back to what mindfulness is really all about? Mindfulness is, you know, stopping, taking a deep breath and going inside yourself and, well, okay, um, oh, I got a pain in my shoulder or, well, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy, just tracking yourself. Because we are the meaning makers. We make up our stories. And most stories are, are pretty neurotic. So being mindful is, is about how you plant your feet. You know, being mindful when you wake up in the morning and laying there for a moment and taking a deep breath, the kind of breath that goes all the way down to your toes and, and you just go, oh, okay, I'm awake. <laughs> I guess the older we get, well, I woke up this morning. That's a good thing. But just (laughs) just be aware of how you are when you wake up in the morning, Uh, you know, how your feet feel when they touch the floor. Everything, everything you think, say, and do, it really is possible to track it. But it takes practice. It takes a commitment to, yes, I want to learn about what's going on with me. Well, you can explore that and find out what that's about using mindfulness or being the non-judgmental observer. You can gather in that information and use it. You know, Carmen, uh, you had talked a moment ago about stories that we tell ourselves, and it uh, makes me think about, you know, the rambles that Paul and I do. Every episode is our story, you know? And uh, when we talk about this subject or that subject, I think that we acknowledge pretty quickly that this is just a story that we've been telling ourselves and our perspective on things, but we just continue to say things about ourselves that may or may not be true. Well, and you and think also about, about the topics that you choose on the podcast. Uh-huh. That says a lot about both of you. Well, it does, but of course, that's the purpose of our podcast, is to concentrate as it relates to people our age. So, yeah, it it steers us in a certain direction, and that's going to be fraught with story. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's every day. It's like we write a new episode, or we keep repeating the same thing over and over again. If you look through history, human, human beings have done a great job of repeating we do the same thing unless we stop and become mindful and plant our feet and take a deep breath and go, wait a minute. I don't like that, that that keeps happening to me. So we can go in and rewrite our story. What about the healing power of connection with other people? Oh, okay. We moved here in, in 2009 and neighbors and these good friends, they kind of talked us into going to the United Methodist church here in the village. And I met the most incredible people. And I was there for the community. And oh, I get goosebumps every time I think about the outpouring of kindness and love. And we're here to support you. It would have been impossible to get through a lot of stuff without that. And I think we've seen the toll that COVID has, the quarantine has taken on elderly people. You know, watching my neighbors on either side, it's been very difficult for them. I, I think if, if we could sum up two elements in the conversations we've had with seniors, you know, connection with other people, 
And also finding something that makes you feel like your time is worthwhile. Do you mm-hmm. have any thoughts? You know, the singing group that I sing with, when I was invited to join them, it absolutely changed me in many, many different ways. Uh, first of all, I was getting back into something I had let go a long, long time ago. But when I got there and I started singing and I could hear the harmony and what we were creating with our voices, and it just, it just made my soul sing. That's a great example. Carmen, I know you've been getting good response from the people in your area. Are you also interested in working with people online from, say, other parts of the country? Oh, I want I want people from, you know, my coach that I've worked with is in the Netherlands. Huh. And um, no, I wouldn't be more than happy to do that. Great. So if anybody listening is interested in working with Carmen, just go to her website, which is... CarmenEdwards.com Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.